All right, we are live here at, well, not live, this is recorded. What am I doing? Here at New York Comic Con 2017, This Week in Marvel. I'm Ben Morse, Editorial Director of Digital Media, joined by... Assistant Editor Tucker Marcus. And we've got with us Matthew Rosenberg. Matt, what's up? Uh, nothing. It's second day of Comic-Con, so I'm a little tired. But and You had a little trouble getting here, I understand. Yeah, you know, I'm from New York, so I can say this, but our uh, magnificent subway system is not always up to snuff. So. Very cool. So you've got a bunch of exciting projects coming up. First, I want to talk about Secret Warriors, what's going on there. In the aftermath of Secret Empire, we've got Quake hunting down Deadpool. What can we expect coming up in Secret Warriors? Yeah, um, after Quake uh, finishes her vendetta... Uh, we may or may not kill Deadpool, so Deadpool fans, you yep. might want to read it. It might be the last ever. Gotta check out Deadpool. Secret Warriors. It's the only place you can find it. Yeah. The uh, after that, we're doing our legacy arc, which is about uh, the Inhuman characters. We deal with a lot of the younger ones: Miss Marvel, Moon Girl, Inferno, Quake. Um, they're facing extinction. There's no more ability to make more Inhumans, and they're caught up in a, a plot uh, to save the Inhuman race. Or maybe it's not a plot to save the human race. They're not quite sure what it is. Um, but it's all coming from big, genetic bad guy, uh, Mr. Sinister. So because of that, uh, because of their war with Mr. Sinister, they recruit a new member, which is uh, magic from the New Mutants and the X-Men. So we're adding a vaguely psychotic uh, part demon girl with a sword to the team. And so that's going to be fun. I, I recall... Uh putting up an interview on the site with you where we kind of first teased magic. What, what, what is the kind of unique dynamic that magic brings to the book? What are, what makes you, I remember you saying how excited you were to bring in that element. What exactly uh, is it that makes that so special? Um, well, for me personally, I mean, I'm, uh, I'm an ex fan. I learned to read on those books. So I, I love magic. She's, uh, you know, for a lot of people, the heart and soul of, the X-Men is, is Jean Grey or Kitty. Uh, Magic, for me, was always, like, one of my favorites because she's a, she's a little more unhinged, and that's, and that's fun. But I think uh, the thing I like about her on the team is that the, uh, the book really... Uh, a lot of the a lot of the fun in the book, I think, is the, the tension between Miss Marvel, who is the optimistic hero who who aspires to be you know the greatest superhero in the world and quake who is you know raised by nick fury and and she's uh you know the dark side and she's willing she's willing to cross some lines um when we had magic magic is the step further of like not really you know anything whatever it takes to get the job done and like not really considering a lot of ramifications um so there's a fun dynamic push-pull because Quake has always been the one who's sort of dragging them in a darker direction. And now Quake has to step back and be like, whoa, that's too far. Like, magic is, like, pulling her sword on people and teleporting them to crazy places. And, you know, she's got a short fuse because she's partially a demon. And, um, yeah, it's, it's just fun, the three, the three of their dynamics. Like, they don't know what to make of magic, and magic just doesn't care. She's, you know, she's got her family and her team, and this is not it. She's just here to go after Sinister, so. It talks about being big into X-Men, learning to read on the X-Men. Of course, you've got a huge X-Men project coming up with Phoenix Resurrection. Um, what does it mean to you to be able to tell a story that's going to be quintessential in the, uh, in the X-Men canon moving forward? I mean, it's, you know, uh, to call it dream come true stuff is an exaggeration. I, it is not an exaggeration. You know, either one. Uh, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's um, I I love Jean, and I think Jean's death 
you know, Dark Phoenix Saga, Death of Jean Grey, like, is some of the, the greatest comics ever made. And so, for me, bringing her back is not something we're taking lightly. I, I said, when they talked to me about this project, I said, like, this, this can't just be a, a, a retcon or a reversing of something. This has to be part of that story and, and all the things that happened to her like matter and, and those stakes are raised and, and what does it mean that she's back and that's sort of what we're playing with is like you know this character that that maybe should be dead is back and, and it's and it's heartbreaking and sad that she's dead and you know I, I think like the X-Men since Jean's death is missing something and can she come back and be that thing is a question that will reverberate I think for the X-Men for a long time so it's it's a huge responsibility and we're not taking it lightly it's uh we're hoping that long time X-Men fans uh understand <laughs> understand the stakes we think they will and and new readers who you know are curious about Jean or whatever I think it's a good place to start to like really set the stage for what the X-Men are going to be moving forward you spoke about Dark Phoenix and growing up on X-Men. What, what do you see uh, as any kind of inspirations that you're bringing specifically to that storyline to bringing Gene back? I mean, for me, a, a lot of what we're pulling from... I mean, it's funny because I, I, I think Gene, like I said, she's you know so crucial a piece of, of the X-Men and what they are. And the X-Men is a lot of things to a lot of people. The 60s X-Men, the 70s X-Men, 80s, 90s now... Um, so a big thing for us in the book is is making sure that the stakes are big enough that you understand that like if you're a New Mutants person or a Wolverine and the X Men fan or any of those like those characters are going to be there and you're going to see how they deal with this and how this is you know this is all hands on deck for the X Men this is like potentially world ending and potentially their part of their family's fault so. That's a. I mean, like we're pulling from everything. If you, you know, like it's a it's a book that you can read if you've never read an X Men comic. But if you want deep cuts, uh, we're this is a deep cuts book. There are a lot of nods to things that are, you know, in an issue, in a page, in a panel. Like if there's an X Men, you're like, I haven't seen that X Men in ten years. Like look in the backgrounds, uh, or maybe in the foregrounds. There's a couple we put up in the forefront who people are going to be excited by. But I think um, you know a lot of it, like. Since we're doing a return of Jean Grey, a lot of what we're pulling from is Claremont's run. Is is that you know heightened soap opera that like real family dynamic, the dysfunctional family dynamic that like I uh, I think is what drew me and millions of people the X Men for years. And when you say you're incorporating all these X Men, all these characters, I gotta ask, who is your favorite to uh, write so far? Um. Uh, my favorite X-Men right so far. I mean, I love I love Kitty. Um, I mean, Magic's in there. I'm not spoiler. We haven't said that, but but Magic has a moment. I love Kitty and I love Colossus and like getting to play with them uh, is amazing. Kitty has a real big role and Beast has a real big role and the two of them together and like not necessarily seeing eye to eye because of Jean's. Jean means different things to them. Like she's. Hank grew up with her and, and Kitty she was uh, you know sort of an older sister figure who you know went to a real bad yeah. place so like they're not approaching things in the same way and, and that's really fun I think the two of them people are if, you, if you're if you a fan of Kitty or Beast you're really going to like it and you know there's a really good uh, strong guy cameo so I, nice. I like that yeah. love strong guy 
another exciting thing on the horizon is we get to see the Matthew Rosenberg sensibility unleashed on Frank Castle. What can you talk? What can you? What can you say about starting that process? About working on the Punisher so far? Uh, how's it been? Uh, it's amazing. I I'm a huge huge Punisher fan. I feel like such a nerd on these things always. <laughs> like no matter what comes up, I'm like I'm a huge fan of that. That's good, man. Uh, yeah, um, it is. Good I for keep, the resume. I keep waiting for someone to be like, oh, what about this character? I'm like, yeah. I don't really uh, care about no, that. No, no, no. That's that's the one I don't like. No, I don't like. Um, the uh, it's Silver Sable. If you're wondering, Sable, okay. I don't care. No, I actually like Silver Sable. Yeah. Um, the Pitching for Silver Sable. <laughs> yeah. Now, guys, I'm writing Silver Sable in January. It's not true. It's not, <laughs> it's true. not true. Not true. Not Get true. away from your computers, yeah. everyone. <laughs> um, the uh, it's amazing. I I Frank Castle for me is the Frank Castle I love is is I grew up on '80s Frank Castle on on that you know Circle of Blood, all that stuff. Uh, Punisher and and he was a hero because I was a little kid and then you know I had that moment that I, I've talked to a lot of Punisher fans who've had this moment where like you read Garth Ennis's Punisher and it recontextualizes the character in a, in a very serious way of like it, his heart is almost in the right place but it's it's dark and it's disturbing and it's and he's a troubled man he's a he's a very dangerous bad person mm-hmm. who you know it, he blurs a lot of lines and and I. You know, my my take going in into the Punisher was, you know, he's a he's a simple answer to very complex questions. He's he's everything is, you know, you end it with a bullet, and and that's not necessarily the the nuance of the Marvel universe these days. Um, and so, I wanted to see Punisher taken to a, a logical conclusion, to a to a place where it's like, yeah, he's just more dangerous and scary than he's been. So our Punisher story uh, starting in November is Frank Castle um, there's a coup a military coup uh, a fascist government takes over a country in Europe, a small country and through various ways uh, Frank is enlisted to uh, end that and that's not normally something you can do with a pistol and a hunting knife um, so Frank is forced to ramp up and he steals the war machine armor. Mm. Um, Rhodey, who is no longer with us, uh, has left it with the military and Frank is determined to get it back. And I, th- I think the idea, you know, I know a lot of, a lot of fans of war machine and Rhodey are, are scared that we're making this, you know, Rhodey is a, a hero. There's no denying that. And they're like, Oh, you're making the punisher. You're, you're tarnishing his legacy. And, and I think, if I do my job well, the point is that Rhodey's legacy is greater because of this. Because mm-hmm. this is the nightmare version of War Machine. This is this is Rhodey is this sort of ideal of of what what this power and this force could be for good, uh, and Frank is how it could be how it could be used and abused. So um, I think that's what you're going to get from this. Is is like we're not replacing Rhodey. Nothing would ever replace Rhodey. What we're doing is showing. Why Rhodey's so amazing? Because we're giving it to Frank and showing how horrific it could be if these weapons ended up uh, on Frank's body. It really stuck with me there what you said about how like the recontextualizing of the Punisher and how like as you grow up you kind of go from just the simplistic view of him as a hero to something very different. And you talked a little bit about this, but how do you switch gears in your mind, your writing mind, when you're working on a Secret Warriors or a Resurrection of Phoenix and you're writing kind of these 
pure heroic characters, then you've got to slide over and write someone like the Punisher. How do you shift gears there? Um, I mean, my first two series at Marvel were Rocket Raccoon and Kingpin, mm. so, <laughs> so I had a good a good bit of uh, polarity there. But right. it, you know, it, it's tricky because you don't. Um, they all exist in the same universe, and that's and that's what's beautiful about them. And and it's but it is like psychologically a challenge to to show the really unnerving, disturbing side of the Marvel universe, and you know, and then go to write Miss Marvel, who I think is yeah. you know the the ideal Marvel hero. Right. Um, but but I think that you see it as a bigger picture. It's a tapestry. That's that's the thing I always remind myself is that like I'm just sewing a couple stitches on this quilt that stretches back uh, to bef- way before I was born and will go long after I'm dead mm-hmm. and so it's it's about uh, seeing it, seeing the bigger picture and always zooming out like what does it mean that Frank is scary and, and, and terrifying and how does that affect Miss Marvel what does that mean for Miss Marvel what does it mean for um, you know uh, for Jean Grey and I think like it's important to, to write the character that you're writing but always the, the joy of the Marvel Universe is to always remember like you know I'm writing the Kingpin and he's a gangster in New York and somewhere up above him in the sky there's a space raccoon who's stealing things and shooting people mm-hmm. um, and, and those elements have to work together and I, I think that's the key is to just um, you always have it in the back of your head that it's like this is the biggest universe shared universe of of amazing characters that humans have ever seen and like just be respectful of that and that's that's what i try to do in everything i do to wrap things up uh you've spoken so much about what a big fan you've been uh of of marvel for so long and now that you're such an instrumental part of the narratives that are being told in the universe here at Comic Con, what's what's it like to be here as both a fan and as a, a creator? Now, what what is the kind of global perspective you take uh, on on the kind of overall uh, everything that New York Comic Con represents in terms of fandom, in terms of of uh, the stories that that we tell? I mean, I I think it's. Uh... The amazing thing for me, uh, my girlfriend always makes fun of me about this because I'll get on the subway and there'll be a guy in a Punisher shirt or like in a Rocket Raccoon shirt and I smile. Isn't that crazy that you can say Rocket Raccoon shirt now and that's a thing? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. The, uh, but you know, I, I, I smile and she's like, I don't say anything because I'm in New York City on the subway and you don't just start (laughs) talking to other people. Um, but it's, it's this feeling of, of like, yeah, there's a, there's a shared, sense that we're, we're into the same thing it's it's a club and it's it's you know one of the biggest clubs in the world but I, I really feel that like um, there's there's Marvel stuff for everything and Comic-Con is that realized to just this enormous degree I, I think you know I sit at my table in Artist Alley and people stop by because they love Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and they and they know that Quake is in Secret Warriors and they want to talk to me about the show and I love it and then they you know love love this tv show or they love you know they they're like i haven't read punisher since you know 92 what are you gonna do and it's like it, it, we have all of this we have you know i'm talking to eight-year-old girls and seven-year-old guys about all of it and we all are are just so excited about everything and to be here and you know the yes you, i mean it's exactly that like you've got the guy in the rock raccoon shirt and when i was a kid <laughs> That was not a thing. That was not a thing. <laughs> um, you know, the Punisher shirt was rare when I yeah, was a kid. Sure. And now that's a, you know, 
any subway train's got a punish guy in a Punisher shirt on it. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's just as amazing. It and I. I don't ever want to lose the sense of fandom. Mm-hmm. I uh, I was privy the other day to some of the future plans for the Marvel Universe. Uh, just casually, someone was like, "Oh, well, this is happening," and I I had to stop myself from being, like, "Don't tell me, I I want to read it," <laughs> um, which is awesome. And I, you know, there there's that moment of of like, well, we're I'm making this stuff, and that's uh, I want to make the books that I want to read, and I want to make the books that the fans will care about in ten years and twenty years. And a hundred years, and that's a great responsibility. But it's also, you know, uh, the great thing about the Marvel Universe is that, like, I'm I'm a lifelong fan, and I'm in here, and I'm I'm doing it, and that's that could be anyone, and that's awesome. I think that's a good way to wrap it, Matt. Thank you so much for joining us, man. We uh, we really appreciate. it. Have a good rest of your con. Thank you. This is Marvel, your universe. universe.